captain's logs. Han Solo. I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the Federation Starship Enterprise. Listening to Captain's Logs and Lightsabers, part of the Geek News Now Podcast Network. Hey, Captain's Logs and Lightsabers listeners. Got tats? Love your ink? But are you worried that your art will fade over time and the cost to keep it looking vibrant and fresh gets to be too much? Well, that's where Mad Rabbit comes in. After just one use, you'll see how Mad Rabbit is effective on old and new tattoos. All natural ingredients are used to keep this from feeling oily or greasy. Even better, use promo code CLLPOD and save a whopping 20% on every purchase. Keep your ink looking great and save money. Check it out. MadRabbit.com. Promo code CLLPOD. Hey, welcome to episode 27 of Captain's Logs and Lightsabers podcast. Uh, If this is your first time listening, we are the podcast with... Geek News Now that discusses both Star Trek and Star Wars in the same show. Uh, My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the co-hosts. And joining me this episode, as he is every other episode, well, almost, at least, uh, is my co-host, Chris. How's it going, Chris? I'm good, Jonathan. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. It's it's been a little while since we talked. Plans just kept getting... you know, we, we just kept having interferences and we couldn't record as, as quickly as we would have liked. Right. Right. Yeah. Like I always say, sometimes adulting sucks. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> There's always something that comes up, you know, that right. always takes precedent, you know, but yep. we're here and that's all that matters. Exactly. And uh, today we're going to talk about the full season uh, three of The Mandalorian. So I know in our last episode, we kind of teased our overall thoughts, had a little bit of a discussion, but we're kind of we're going to break down each episode here tonight and kind of give you our our final thoughts on it. And um, Chris and I both had the chance to rewatch most, if not all, of season three, at least a second time. So, uh, you know, we kind of have it fresh in mind and, you know, have given it time to uh, to digest the first viewing and, and started a second one to see if, um, you know, see if we knew noticed anything that we liked, anything uh, that intensified what we didn't like. And, and we'll give you all of that here uh, shortly. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. I'm ready to go when you are. So, um, we're going to put that on pause for a minute, and we're going to start with how did you geek this week? Um, Chris, how did you geek this week? Well, I didn't really geek out a whole lot. I did go to a chapter meeting yesterday with uh, my my fellow crew members of the USS Stella Parada. We uh, are going to be, we have some tables being set up at Three Rivers Comic Con, which is two weeks from now. We are working. We have a bunch of new things that we're going to do this year, some new games that we're going to do and surprises that we're going to be giving out to people. We're working on raising money for our charity called Extra Life, which helps to bring funding for kids who are in the hospital and who are, have cancer or other life-threatening illnesses. So we're really looking forward to that. Also, since our last show, I don't know if I don't think I mentioned this in the last episode, but I actually passed my tests 
and got promoted to first officer of the Stella Parada. So that was nice. That was really nice. So it's yeah. a really great group of people, and it's nice to have a lot of fun with them. Yeah, and I think the last time that we recorded, you had just passed your ensign? Yes. Yes, yeah. I just got promoted to ensign, and it was on April 1st. And then yeah. about, I'd say about a month later, I got, actually, after I finished the testing, I got promoted to the first officer since there was a vacancy. So that's pretty cool. Very good, very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like a like a field commission. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. She, uh, my, the, our commanding officer, said to me, "Chris, we can promote you to lieutenant commander now since you're first officer." I'm like, "No, no, 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 no." I said, "I want to earn. I want to get there on my own." Basically, <laughs> the ranking in the Star Trek fan club, it, it's not, it's nothing real. It's just right individually what you do for fun so i can't like pull rank on somebody or anything like that you know so crew members have the option do you want to actually do a rank or not i think right now besides the captain i'm the only other one who's actually doing the rank that's about okay. it but it you know it's, it's something fun for every unique individual yeah yeah gotcha mm-hmm. um now yeah i mean i know you you have a lot of fun with stella parada so i'm, I'm yes. glad that you know you found something that has been so enjoyable and that you're really you know you're 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 not only putting into but you're getting something out of you right know, even if it is intangible it's still just fun right exactly and that's that's what it is we we don't even necessarily see ourselves as like a star trek club we see ourselves more as a geek club you mm-hmm. know so anybody can come and join from any walks of life we have people in the crew that are not even star trek fans so, you know, it's just people that we know, friends that have decided, hey, you know what, this group seems pretty cool. Let's go out, you know, and join them. All right. So, um, yeah, I guess me, um, how did I geek this week? Uh, well, uh, Kylie and I went to see the movie Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, uh, over the weekend. Oh, um, yeah? How was that? <laughs> It was it was cute. It was actually really quite you know uh, very cute. It was very um, funny. Uh, Rachel McAdams is in it as the mom, and she does great. Kathy Bates is in the movie too. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, it was just it was just a lot of fun. You know, I, I, I of course I never read the book going growing up because mm-hmm. you know the, the the subject material really wasn't aimed towards me at all. Sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, I hear you. <laughs> Just being honest, you know, I I am I am male, so I did not have uh you know the uh, the Judy Bloom um, library like uh, you know probably a lot of my fellow students may have had, but yeah, you know, I mean I was familiar with the story, and it was you know it was fun to see you know this this book that has been cherished by so many generations of of young girls uh, finally you know make it to the big screen, and it was good, it was enjoyable. I don't know why it took. 50 almost 60 years to to adapt it but hey um better late than never right oh absolutely absolutely you know judy bloom's a really great author did you when you were a kid did you ever read any of her tales of a fourth grade nothing books with peter hatcher and fudge um i vaguely remember reading i I probably at some point read super fudge Mm -hmm. uh i don't remember the other ones i i I have a hard time recalling some of my childhood memories, some of the books that I read, if I'm being honest, I, sure. I don't, you know, it's, it's just hard for me to manifest that. I know your, your memory is, is, uh, <laughs> mine pales in comparison to yours. So <laughs> mine gets kind of scary sometimes though. I remember like little things like dates and stuff like that. And I, I've even said to my wife, I'm like, where the heck does that come from? 
it, it, I don't know. It's like I've always been able to do that, like with dates yeah. and stuff. My brothers do this are the same way for some odd reason. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just part of your personality. You know, it's part of who you are. You're, you know, it's it's uh, it's a beneficial, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, uh, you know, it's a beneficial uh, skill to have, I guess. I guess, yeah, I guess so. Well, if, if anything, it brings back good memories. <laughs> so we'll yeah. be, I guess we can leave it at that. <laughs> you know. Yep. On that note. We're going to discuss the news. Move the ship out of the asteroid field so that we can send a clear transmission. Captain, incoming message. Come closer, I have good news. We don't really have a whole lot. Um, we have a couple kind of upsetting stories, some some out-of-nowhere stories that nobody saw coming. Um, the first news item that we have is about Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. Uh, that was, if you remember, you know, that is the immersive uh, two-day kind of live role-playing experience that Disney has in, themed in Star Wars. You know, it's at, it's at uh, Walt Disney World's Hollywood Studios Resort. It's nearby Galaxy's Edge. Uh, and it, it opened last year in 2022 and its final uh reservations are going to be september 28th to september september 30th 2023 so like right around 18 months after the um experience opened it's being shut down which nobody saw that coming uh and i mean you know you you can look at so many articles that have already hit the internet and you can see everybody has a theory about why it's closing. None of them are probably accurate. Uh, I'm sure only Disney really knows the reason why they're deciding to close it at this point. So um, just be wary of what you read on the internet. It's probably not true. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So I I guess the, you know, the biggest thing that, you know, I'm upset about, uh, about with this is that I won't get the chance to experience it. Um, it's it's an expensive experience, but I, I from what I've seen, it's a once in a lifetime. And some in in some people's cases, I know people that have done it three, four, five times. Really? Yes. Wow. I mean, not personally, no, but no, like through social media and and people that I interact with, there are people that have done it multiple times. It is that. I mean, they get that much enjoyment out of it, and I just yeah, I'm just kind of upset that I won't ever get to do it, just because it is very pricey. I what do you think, Chris? Uh, did you see this coming? To be honest with you, I had a hunch based on what I heard the prices were of of going and staying there. I knew that a lot of people wouldn't be able to do it unless they maybe did it one time, unless they had the income, like you were saying, to be able to go and do that. But I think it's a real shame, I think, because I, I wish they would have made it where it was more accessible to a lot more people, kind of like where like the value resorts or some of the other places mm-hmm. where you can stay, where it would have been more inclusive with more people you know, with different financial backgrounds because only a select few probably only really got to enjoy what it, what it really had, you know? So, and I think it's a loss for the park because I think that was, that was something unique compared to anything else in Disney world. So it's a shame, you know, I mean, especially for super fans like you to be, you're not going to be able to get like immersed in that world. Mm-hmm. Now that just out of, just to make sure that I'm hearing this right. The galactic star cruiser is different from galaxy's edge, right? Correct. That's the, Gal- the park. Right. Galaxy's Edge is the park. Galactic Star Cruiser is the immersive uh, interactive experience that, you know, it, it, it basically, from the time that you walk into the building, you are in Star Wars, right? Okay. 
um, you stay in the resort. You know, the vast majority of the activities that you can that are included with your experience are inside the actual resort. Sure. Uh, there, there's missions. There's um, you know, there's live entertainment. All your food is included. Uh, you know, in the for the two nights, you know, every every meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner mm-hmm. is included every night that you stay there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, I think, you, so your first night you get a dinner. Your second day you get breakfast, lunch, and then you get dinner, and then your last day you get breakfast as well. So, okay. from the time that you start to the time that you leave. All your food is included. All your drinks are included at the resort. Um, you get food when you get to the, you know, because part of your day on that on that first, you know, that one that only full day, mm-hmm. um, part of your day is at Galaxy's Edge, right? You have a um, essentially you're you're on a, a cruise ship in space, so you're stopping at Galaxy's Edge as one of your port days, which you know when you're on a cruise you visit various ports. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what the the concept is. So and and the the story uh, that you're participating in from the time that you check into the resort continues at Galaxy's Edge. Like you know, so you get um, you you find out more of the story by interacting at Galaxy's Edge. Okay, so it's all it all feeds into it. Okay. Um, where it's it's essentially it, it like I said it's an immersive role playing experience, and I don't know if I just don't know if Disney explained and did the marketing around what the experience truly is. I think a lot of people saw the price and then didn't get any. Um, they didn't get a whole lot of what the what the experience is like to justify the price tag. Mm-hmm. I no, think if they, yeah, I, I think if they had given more information and and shown a lot more of people's experiences doing it, you know, and and you could kind of structure it like a film trailer, right? You can, you know, promo videos so that it doesn't give story stuff, but it shows people interacting and showing what is actually going on inside the building while you're there. Right, right, exactly. So I guess the next question is, what are they going to do with it? Are they going to just? leave it sit or are they going to use it for storage or are they going to actually maybe revamp it, redevelop it so that maybe they can make it more accessible for people and try it again. Right. It's hard to say. Nobody knows at this point. uh, Your guess is as good as mine. And I have, I mean, I have theories, but nothing that, (laughs) you know, uh, (laughs) nothing that I really can share that makes any sense at all. It's just all kind of like a jumble in my brain. Sure. Well, hopefully it's not what the memes are saying going around because they're showing it as with a spirit Halloween sign up at this point. The pictures, <laughs> yeah, you know, you see course. that going around for any business anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> people try to bring humor to it, I guess. Yeah, yeah exactly. But I've seen spirit Halloween on Mars, too. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, hey, you know, I, I love the meme just as much as the next person. So mm-hmm. I, I did I did I share a Spirit Halloween sign on the Gal- Galactic Star Cruiser? Yes. Uh, did I enjoy it? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny when it's for anything. It, it really is. There's just something comical about it because you see him pop up everywhere every year. So, yeah. you know. But I mean, I mean, in the end, though, it's it's a shame that I mean, at least Disney made the effort to go and and build this immersive community. But I think they just need to 
go back to the drawing board and maybe revamp it. I wish what they would have done in the beginning altogether was that, I don't remember if it was called Lucas World or Star Wars World. There was this picture of what looked like a park with all the different Star Wars planets. If you went around, mm-hmm. like, kind of like at Epcot and the, and the Death Star was in the center, like the Epcot ball. Was that Spaceship Earth? Yeah, Is yeah. What's called? Okay. Well, I mean, you've got the World Showcase, which are your countries, right, all, the, right. all the various pavilions, and that's uh, so. Yeah, it's like an Epcot concept, but you're visiting different Star Wars worlds. Now, that would I personally think that would have taken off. I think that would people would have been crazy for that. I, I, yeah. I mean, when when people think Star Wars, they think the the stuff they've already seen, the stuff they've already experienced mm-hmm. with. Uh, with Galaxy's Edge, that you know the 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 part of the of the Hollywood Studios theme park that's dedicated to Star Wars, mm-hmm. it is a single location that uh, really doesn't exist in any movies or, mm-hmm. or or TV shows. I mean, it's you know exists of course as a uh, portion you know a themed area of the park, but it also it, 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 it as far as other media, it really only exists in comics, books. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, comics and books. It's never been seen on uh, on the TV screen or the the silver screen for film. Right. So it's. I, I just. I just. I I was I would be afraid that you know living the Star Wars greatest hits wouldn't. It would be it would be novel for mm-hmm. a little bit, but I think it would get. Um just kind of boring and bland, mm-hmm. you know, the more you do it. Mm-hmm. And, and and if it was more like that, you know, where it was an entire theme park, I just, I don't, I don't think that uh, they would be able to justify, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, an entire theme park dedicated to star Wars. I, I really don't mm-hmm. think that's sustainable. Mm, okay. Well, I mean, it's, it's very possible, you know, I didn't know that galaxy's edge was part of uh, MG, the studio. And was it MGM studios? Uh, MGM Studios was the old name. Yeah, they they changed it several years ago. Now it's just Disney's Hollywood Studios. Oh, okay, okay, man, yeah. I haven't been there in ages. <laughs> right. I don't remember. I still call it MGM Studios from time to time. So, okay, okay, yeah, it's been twenty years since I've been to Disney and it, yeah. for my honeymoon. So it's like I'm sure a lot of things have changed that I just don't know about. Oh yeah, yeah. Hey, the parks are always um, evolving and changing, and you know, rides are being added, rides are being. Um, Rethemed, you know. That's that's kind of the one thing, you know. They're they're not afraid to innovate. They're not afraid to change things, you know, and and make and give things a refresh. So that's good. That's good. Keeps everything more entertaining. It's always something new. Right. Right. So, like you know, local amusement parks, they kind of don't really do much theming. It's just you know, rides, uh, carnival food, and um, you know that kind of stuff. It's. You know, a theme park is is meant to be, you know, changing and and growing. Exactly, so. definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's uh. Unfortunately, Gal- Galactic Star Cruiser is is closing September twenty eighth. Um. And I guess the other kind of down news that we have is the uh, Writers Guild of America strike that's going on right now. Yes. Um. That strike started May second. Uh. They went on a voluntary labor strike. Uh. The biggest issues right now facing the writers are, you know, they're they don't feel like they're getting the proper residual income for shows that they write on. Like streaming shows don't release numbers, viewership totals. Streaming movies don't release how many people watch the movie because these streaming services aren't revealing that that amount of data 
So, you know, if, if these writers have contracts that say, you know, the more successful film is, the more residual income that they're going to get from it because, you know, more people are, are experiencing their work. So, you know, it's kind of like a pay for play type scenario. And these writers aren't necessarily getting accurate income, you know, um, and, and I, I guess the other big issue with the contract and, and why the writers are uncertain about their future is, you know, they've, uh, you know, programmers have developed AI programs that are so advanced. They're able to write entire scripts for films and entire seasons of TV shows, but it's, it's a computer. It's an algorithm doing right. this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's software called uh, chat GPT and it's, relatively new but you're finding it pop up in a lot of places like uh-huh. i saw an option to use chat gpt on the expedia travel app today oh really and i didn't really click on it but i'm like okay, okay this program is really taking off uh-huh. and you know if you're a television writer would you want a computer that someone just tells i want a show featuring this 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 featuring the, you know having these elements okay go make go come up with a pilot for a show mm-hmm. <laughs> and the computer produces it in a day you know it like produces an entire tv pilot in a day something that right. takes writers potentially weeks right you know you would think about it I mean, okay they might the ai can create these shows these stories but where's the heart in it where's the meaning the the talking about social commentary things like that i mean you can't think an ai would just randomly start doing that i would think that's pretty soulless I, I don't, I mean, it, it's, I mean, yeah, it probably is a little soulless, but uh-huh. if, if you're going to rely on a computer to build the, the framework of a script and then have a writer tweak it and change it so that it sounds more human, well, then you just even further uh, lessen the role of the writer. And right, exactly. Given them, and given these studios and these companies that produce this content, even less incentive to pay the writers, a, 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 you know, an actual livable wage. Right, right. It almost comes off to me as like a, some form of plagiarism. You know, you're taking other people's work and putting it in the computer and saying, come up with something similar. I mean, that... <laughs> I, just, I guess just from, from four years of college, having that drilled in my, my brain, you know, just like yeah. with you, you know, to just, it, that's just the way it kind of comes off to me. I could very well be over uh, simplifying my explanation of how it works. I'm not a programmer. I don't understand the the nuances of it. And that may be just a very crude uh, explanation, but it's something like that. You're basically, you're putting data in and you're asking for data out Mm -hmm. essentially. So you're, you're feeding it the information that you want and then you're, you're asking for it to to create something similar. And, yeah, I guess it could be a form of plagiarism, but that's <laughs> I guess in the if you would yeah, if you look at it a certain way, maybe. Yeah. From know. a certain point of view? Hmm? Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> nice Obi-Wan uh quote there, sir. <laughs> Bringing it back on top. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wonderful. Uh, <laughs> so so that's the big reason for this writer strike and it's well, hopefully it doesn't last too too long. You hopefully know, it, not. Yeah, I mean, because like you and I were talking before we started recording. I mean, so it's already affected the upcoming fall TV season, getting ready to come up with new scripts and start filming. But also it's affecting the streaming services as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so essentially part of the, you know, when when you get a show, all right, say we'll, we'll use an example from Star Wars. We'll use the example of 
uh, Andor season two, right? Mm-hmm. So Star Wars Andor season two was filming. Yeah, they were, uh, they were, you know, they were filming the the season, getting ready for you know it to debut sometime in 2024. Well, right now production on the show has stopped because, well, yes, you have a script for an episode of uh, of a TV show. If something in that script doesn't quite work out when you're filming it, you have writers on set to change the script of the episode. They're making real-time edits to the script. And and with a writer strike, you can't have that writer on set. If and and you know, with um with Andor specifically, a lot of the show is being written by Tony Gilroy. Well, Tony Gilroy is a director, he's a producer, he's a writer. He's in Writers Guild of America. He's in DGA. He's probably in um, Producers Guild of America as well. Well, he's not going to cross picket lines by writing on his own show because he's standing, you know, he's a member of WGA, plus he's in a union that's standing in solidarity with WGA. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's refusing to work because of the strike. So right. that's on hold. So that, you know, that show is probably going to get pushed back to who knows uh, when in 2024 now. Um, it, it's going to affect existing seasons or, you know, seasons of, uh, Trek shows that we either, you know, it's going to affect, um, the f- feature seasons of the existing shows, strange new worlds is going to affect, uh, prodigy. It's going to affect, uh, lower decks. It's going to affect any potential new shows that are coming out. Right. Um, this is going to have effects for quite a few months after, uh, even, you know, after 2024. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they already said online that C- Strange New World Season 3 is going to be delayed from all of this. I don't know if they were in pre-production, I guess, at this point, to, to start getting the scripts together and getting ready to start filming. I mean, I think mm-hmm. they only, only what, authorized Season 3 just a couple months ago, but already everything's being pushed back. So, right. yeah, we'll probably have at least, an, I would say, almost a year and a half wait for the next third season of Strange New Worlds. Yeah, I would say if this strike lasts, if this strike lasts three months, like the one in 2007 did, it's going to affect shows. It's going to probably delay stuff by about a year. Yeah. It's amazing how that how that happens. You have a a strike that only lasts a couple months, but it it just the the lingering after effects of everything. It's like a it's like a plague, basically, you know, in in the industry and then how it affects everything and everything kind of has to take its time to kind of resettle back into a normal routine again, kind of like what happened with COVID, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, with as much as COVID delayed things, it's not going to be nearly as long because, you know, once the writers return to stuff, they'll be able to pick up where they left off. Right. It's not like entire productions had to tear down and then set back up again, you know, mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's, this is nothing, this is nothing like COVID. We're not comparing it to that at all, but mm-hmm. you know, you're going to see something that lasts three months end up affecting things for 12 months. Ultimately. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that was my whole point is that it's just mm-hmm. going to take time for things to kind of get back into place and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's probably a little bit easier resuming work after the writer strike ends, but you know, than it was after COVID, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a similar, you know, situation i guess with with just with project restarting quickly right right yeah uh so the only other 
bit of news that I found, uh, and this is some good news, right? <laughs> I think so. Uh, we're getting the entire Indiana Jones franchise on Disney Plus at the end of May. So uh, right in time for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, the fifth film to debut in theaters, we're going to have uh, the opportunity to rewatch the entire indie saga. Uh, and that includes the young Indiana Jones adventures or Indiana Jones Chronicles that they done back in the early 90s mm-hmm. um that's going to be on disney plus as well which is kind of exciting you know that you get to see everything that has been produced at, under young indiana or under indiana jones franchise oh definitely definitely do you remember watching the young indiana jones chronicles back then i probably watched a little bit of it i mm-hmm. it for my family, it wasn't appointment television, so you know we mm-hmm. might have caught part of the first episode and then maybe never returned to it. But mm-hmm. yeah, I do remember at least uh, a lot from the first episode. So I, I, I would probably say I watched the full first episode and then for whatever reason never returned to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember it being on when I was you know a kid, but at the same time, I never really got into Indiana Jones until I got maybe into being a teenager. So I missed the Indiana Jones Chronicles. So I'm looking forward to actually being able to watch that and see how that all ties together and fits in. I did Mm -hmm. hear that Harrison Ford was in one of the episodes. He actually reprised his role and was actually like in elderly makeup being the older Dr. Jones. I want to check that episode out, see what that's all about. But, uh, you know, how are you feeling about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? Uh, I, I saw that some of the critic reviews are out and they're not favorable, mm-hmm. but I don't know if you've seen that at all. Yes, I did. It was on Rotten Tomatoes, I believe. It was, what, at a 46%? Yeah, yeah, it's not reviewing well. Um, I don't care about critics. Yes. I, I, I know, I want to say, I can't remember what the critic rating was for Kingdom of the, of the Crystal Skull. Mm-hmm. Let's see if I can figure it out here on the fly. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't remember what the rating for the fourth one was, but I know, of course, the, you know, the first three are ha- held in very high regard. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Which one is your favorite, just out of curiosity? My favorite is Temple of Doom. Are you serious? Really? Yes. <laughs> yes. Really? That's my least favorite of the bunch. So tell me, what, what, what is it about Temple of Doom you, you enjoy? Uh, I, I, so... Okay, Willie Scott annoys me. That has never changed. Okay. <laughs> uh, I do not like her character. I do I do I mean Kate Capshaw is a great actress. I just do not like the way that she portrayed the character. I it just okay. but I I love the I you know, I was that was so when that came when I watched that for the first time, I was probably um probably 12, 13. So kind of, you know, angsty teen, like mad at the world type thing. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think just that how dark that movie was just is what really, uh, kind of attracted me to it at the time. Just, mm-hmm. it, it is a very dark story. You know, you figure you have, um, some pretty crazy, like cultish, you know, cult mm-hmm. beliefs. Um, the, you know, the, the whole ripping the heart out scene was pretty gruesome. Um, you know, using kids for, for labor, you know, mm-hmm. in your minds, that was, it's, it's just a pretty dark story. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I guess I just, I, 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 <laughs> Maybe I just like maybe I just really like short round and and just the indie uh, the you know the banter between short, short round and indie just uh, never ca- you know never fails to to put a, a smile on my face. 
Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's definitely got its good moments. I, I just, I, I never could follow the story very well for whatever reason. I, I particularly like Raiders of the Lost Ark the best. I just love the whole Ark of the Covenant and the Nazis. And right. I, I love when he goes down into that, that was it like in that pit or whatever. And he uses his staff to use the, mm-hmm. the light beam. I love that. The, the boulder going down. And, and then obviously who doesn't love the part where the guy opens up the Ark of the Covenant, the Nazi and his face melts off. You know, right. it's perfect. <laughs> it's, oh, that's, that's stuff that nightmares are made of. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I, I mean, I am not. Uh, I'm not saying I don't like Raiders of the Lost Ark. I, mm. I, I love it. It's just, and it's probably the best indie movie. Like, mm. you know, it's it's probably, uh, you know, the it probably the best scripted of all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just because it was so so unique. Uh, even though it was, it's, it, you know, even though it was inspired by the big adventure films of the thirties, you know, it, it still was very, um, fresh for the time. You know, it, it really, you know, all the, all the jet setting, all the multiple locations, like uh-huh. you, you didn't know where the story was going sometimes. And, uh-huh. and it's just, it's, it's a great, it's a great film. It's like I said, it's probably objectively the best indie film, uh-huh. but it's just, it's not my favorite. Temple right. Doom is, hey, is that's my okay. favorite. Um, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. The last crusade. I, it's probably my least watched of the indie films, honestly. Oh, really? I may have seen that twice in my life where I've seen, Temple of Doom, I've seen ugh, seven or eight times probably. I've okay. seen temp, um, I've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark five or six times. Uh, I've even seen King- Kingdom of the Crystal Skull four times. Okay. Um, <laughs> I I like that one. Uh-huh. Oh, and by the way, critics also enjoyed that. They they gave it a seventy-seven, where the audience gave it a fifty-three. Oh, so, really? Okay. Uh, I, I'm wondering. You know, with uh, with Indiana Jones uh, and the Dial of Destiny being so low critics-wise, it being what forty-four percent. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the audience score is going to be the polar opposite, because mm-hmm. that often happens. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, so we'll, I'm hoping, fingers are crossed, that Dial of Destiny is going to be really, really good. I'm with you 100%. I don't go by what critics say. I go by what my own brain says when I go and see mm-hmm. something. You know, some people are just too nitpicky about stuff. So all we can right. do is just wait and see what happens. Right. You know? uh, didn't Harrison Ford also kind of get honored after the showing of it? And he actually got like a five minute standing ovation from the crowd and he actually was moved to tears. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I mean, I. I don't. I don't know. I haven't read any of the critics' reviews of mm-hmm. uh, Dial of Destiny. I want to go in completely fresh. I don't want to have any kind of uh, potential bias, you know, affecting how I look at the film. Oh, um, no, exactly. Yeah, I was so, just seeing some stories on Twitter yeah. and on uh, Entertainment Tonight. I guess there was a big crowd, and you know, he they, the the audience stood up for him when he came out, and he was he was just in tears. You know, just yeah. moved by how everybody appreciated it, the, his film work over the last oh, like, yeah. 40 years. So, oh, at least. Uh, I mean, he started acting in the early 70s, mm-hmm. so uh, he he probably started acting in 75. So he's he's fast. He's close to 50 years in, in acting. Yeah, that's what that sounds about right. So he was what? One of his first roles was, I think, in American Graffiti, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. and I want to say that was 74, 75. Okay. I, I can't remember the exact year, but... Okay. 
It was definitely several years before Star Wars. Oh yeah, seven, absolutely. Seven, so. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. I don't know. It's something about Indiana Jones. I don't want to know what critics have. You know, have to actually say. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll look at the tomato score. I'll see that. Okay, critics for the most part hated it, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to go any further. I just. I want to go into an indie movie completely unspoiled, other than what the trailers have shown me. I want to. I want to form my opinion myself. Right. I exactly. don't want any kind of bias affecting how I look at it because if I go there, if I go to the movie and I have fun for two and a half hours. That's all I'm looking for. Exactly. Yes. It may not. It may not make my list of favorite indie movies, but I'm hoping I have a good time. That's all I want. Exactly. That you just want to go and have a good time. Let your brain run loose, right? Yep. Absolutely. Exactly. So uh, that kind of does it for the news. Um, what do you say we talk some Mandalorian season three? Definitely. Looking forward to it. Don't get technical with me. Watch it. It is the beginning of wisdom, Valeris, not the end. The Jedi uses the Force for knowledge and defense. All right, let's start with uh, Chapter 17, which was Season 3, Episode 1. That episode was called The Apostate. Uh, just a brief rundown of the... Uh, the episode this is kind of just kind of putting all the characters into place and introducing some bits and bites of how the rest of the season is going to shake out so there's really not a whole lot major that happens in this episode story-wise uh you know we see din Djarin assisting the mandalorians on their new covert planet with that sea beast uh you know we see din reuniting with grief karga at navarro um of course you know grief karga wants to thank Din Djarin for everything that he did for them, offering him that cabin and the land. Din rejects his offer uh, because, you know, he has his mission to, he wants to, uh, you know, be able to restore his ability to rejoin his covert, right? So that's his mission. That's the mission that he wants to, uh, to, to have this, at least for part of the season, he rejects grief Karga's offer for the land. Uh, Obviously, Din Jaren finds out about the pirate issue that Navarro's having, and he, uh, you know, kind of takes out the pirates both on the planet and in space. You know, there's a little space battle. Uh, yeah. So, what did overall? What did you think of the apostate and and what we saw uh, in that episode? I like that it started setting up the things that ended up, we ended up, everything finally came full circle by the end of the season. I liked the episode seeing that Grief Cargo became that high magistrate. It was the IG 11 thing was kind of interesting. I wasn't expecting it. Only half of him <laughs> would be the statue and the other half would be, you know, his actual remains. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. And then we actually got to see, what was the character's name from, uh, oh, Babu Frick. His, yes, his species in in the episode, which was really cool, was Babu Frick yes. one of them? I don't know if it was actually Babu Frick. I, it was they were all Anzellans, of course, which yes. is like you said, the same race of uh, of creature that that Babu Frick is. But yeah, I don't know if any of those were actually Babu Frick. Okay, okay. Well, either way, it was still cool to have that nice little tie in there, mm-hmm. uh, and also getting to see. Bo-Katan on the throne in her castle. It, it was kind of foreboding her going there and seeing her just kind of stewing in her own anger and frustration. She's sitting on her throne, but there's nobody there. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, that was, yeah. It was kind of odd, 
but it, it just it set up exactly where the character really should have been, considering in the end of season two, she didn't have the dark saber. And you could see a lot of the anger and resentment on Moth Gideon's ship about that. And she was probably kind of wondering, where do I go from here? How do I end mm-hmm. up getting the dark saber? You know, so it, it all tied in nicely there. What did you think of the episode? I like you. I just thought it was a nice episode that kind of reintroduces us. It gives us a little bit of an outline of where the story potentially is going this mm-hmm. season. Yeah, we didn't get any teases about where Moff Gideon is in all of this. We just, you know, we we know he was captured at the end of the se- the season mm-hmm. two, but you know, the, the the show didn't give us anything in that first episode about him, which was kind of interesting. Right. Exactly. I also like that they didn't. They briefly mentioned. Cara Dune and kind of what what happened with her since Gina Carano's firing. At least yeah. they gave it. At least they they wrapped it up to some degree. They didn't just leave it hanging out there. Is I, is, yeah. So I, I think if I remember correctly, they said she's now working with the New Republic. Yeah, she's off somewhere working with the New Republic as a ranger. So basically, you know, they they gave her the show that we were supposed to get without. The, the, us actually getting the show <laughs> exactly so yeah exactly so <laughs> caradoon enjoy your time as a ranger you know maybe we'll yeah. see it in a book someday <laughs> yeah i don't even know if we'll see that but <laughs> maybe not but you know at least at least they wrapped they gave her a little ending which was good right right it yeah it probably you know didn't uh please everyone but hey nothing pleases everybody so exactly it's it's a business <laughs> you know just kind of got to go with the flow yeah, and and like you said, you know, looking back in retrospect after watching the whole season again, seeing where this or knowing how the the season wrapped up, seeing everything kind of be put into place in this episode was a fun treat. Mm-hmm. You know, it it all didn't seem like it made sense when you first watched the episode without the context, but right. after you go back and rewatch it, oh, okay, you see where everything's going. Right, exactly, exactly. But you're right, I agree with you. It was a great opening to the season to kind of bring everything together and see where we were going. Right. Excellent. So a week later, we got Chapter 18, The Minds of Mandalore. Uh, So just kind of a recap here, Din Djarin visits Pelimato on Tatooine to try to get the memory circuit he needs to fix (laughs) IG-88. And, of course, he leaves with uh, R5-D4 instead. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness that poor droid finally got to have something to do in the saga. (laughs) You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm mixed on that droid. I'll tell you. Uh, we'll we'll get into it a little bit later. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So hey, whatever. Um. Yeah. Din Din arrives on Mandalore. He sends R five to collect the samples. Uh, of course, Din has to go rescue him because he gets into trouble. <laughs> um. Din and Grogu then descend further into Mandalore after they learn that the atmosphere is actually breathable, that it's not toxic like they were led to believe. Um. You know, but of course, Din gets beaten by some creature in a droid-like body, um, like a crab-like or spider-like body. But it was a living creature inside of that construct, right? Yes, it was very General Grievous, without a doubt. <laughs> Just like the eyes of General Grievous, you can see the organic piece of him that still remained. It was the same thing in this droid, with just with one eye. Yeah. You know I, I had seen an interesting theory about this. Mm-hmm. Um, what if that was a Dianoga? What if that was like the creature in the trash compactor in A New Hope? That would be really interesting. You know, the, the creature in the trash compactor, you kind of just think of it as an animal. Maybe it was something that was like sentient. That was right. Able to, that, that's an interesting theory. 
Right. And I mean, we only ever see the eye and the stalk that it's on. We don't ever see what the rest of the creature looks like. And I don't know if it's ever been explained in what in what exists in canon now what a dianoga looks like i mean there were there were descriptions in books that you know it's kind of like you know the eye is just one small part of a very massive underwater beast right exactly exactly so it i mean it's possible that that was a dianoga inside that because there was water inside the chamber too wasn't there yes Mm -hmm. that's what it looked like inside that then in that construct body um, so of course, you know, cause the creature has to serve, you know, has to live in water. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's not a bad theory. No, it, it, it's, it's creative. Definitely. Definitely. So I guess my question is what was that cyborg creature doing there? Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if, you know, that creature was in the, the waters of Mandalore and mm-hmm. then whenever, uh, whenever Mandalore was destroyed, essentially, for, you know, when the surface was bombed, mm-hmm. um, if you know whenever the mandalorians had to abandon all of their technology it somehow found its way in the technology and learned how to operate it right yeah exactly exactly who knows i mean apparently several things survived on the planet even though it was nuked i mean that right. what do they call the alamites were some sort of species running around trying to survive then mm-hmm. i think bo katan even said something about them didn't they live on the surface at one point and then yeah i don't know really much about them except they just attacked everybody <laughs> that's about it right Right. Yeah, I, I don't know either. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I just I thought that was kind of fun. Um, mm-hmm. I'll tell you the scene that made me smile every you know, both times that I watched it was watching Grogu admire those fireworks as they were taking off from Tatooine. Yes, for Boonta Eve. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that was so adorable watching his face. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Really yeah, it was just like he was in awe of, of everything that was going on around him. He had never seen it before, you know? Yeah. And we got to give kudos to Amy Serdekis. Was it Amy Serdekis? Sedaris. Sedaris. Amy Sedaris for her coming back as Pelimoto. She's amazing in that role. I mean, she owns it. Um, I think it's always funny when she's speaking to the Jawas in their own language, watching her (laughs) face. She's an amazing addition to that cast. I I think she's perfect. Oh, yeah. I I think she plays the character so well. Yeah. I don't know if this was this is definitely not my favorite appearance of her in the mm-hmm. in the Mandalorian universe, but right. it was still fun. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and it was nice to actually starting to get to see some of uh, the areas on Mandalore. The finally getting to see the the, the caves underneath with the living waters where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly wasn't expecting him to go down, but <laughs> down as far right. as he did. You know, I thought it was just you know a pretty level pool, but I guess not. And then when Bo-Katan actually saw the Mythosaur, that was pretty cool. I never, yes. I don't know a whole lot about Mandalorian lore, so I never really knew what that symbol was. So I think that's what I enjoyed about this season, in particular this episode, is knowing that it was a beast that they seemed to kind of revere. Um, so that was really fascinating. I hope something more comes from that in the future. I hope so too. I, I, I mean, the all there's a ton of Mandalorian lore out there. It's just never really been explored like this. Right. So. It, it, I'm glad that you're getting to experience it for the first time. Yes. Yes. You know, that's it. it and that's what sometimes, you know, people who've been following Star Wars and, and experienced everything don't always remember what it's like to have seen or, or read about something for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if they're familiar with all of the lore, it, it's, it's when, you know, when people who 
didn't immerse themselves completely in the books and, and the whole universe like others, when they see stuff on screen for the first time, that's, that's, it's, it's so cool to see somebody experience that for the very first time. Oh yes, absolutely. I, I can honestly tell you, it's been a pretty cool ride. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I'm happy that you, you know, you're now getting all this Mandalorian uh, stuff that, you know, yes. so many fans have had for years. Yes. It's finally making sense. I've watched all these other <laughs> shows of like, you know, the Clone Wars and, and Rebels. And I'm like, what the heck is going, I couldn't figure it out. I hated the Mandalorian stuff, but now it's starting to gel and mm-hmm. it's, I, I want more. Right. You know? Yeah. All right. Uh, so any more thoughts on chapter 18? No, not on that one. Okay. All right. So with that, we'll move on to chapter 19. This one was called The Convert. Uh, the episode begins... This this was an interesting episode, the way it was structured. Mm-hmm. So the, the way the episode begins and the way the episode ends uh, and the and, every, and what happens in the middle, completely divorced from one another. Um, it's... Yeah, I thought... You know, we, we get, you know, we get the episode starting out with Bo-Katan uh, watching Din as he comes back around and recovers from being under the water. Um, you know, they eventually leave the planet, but, you know, we don't follow the rest of their story until the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. So everything, that, that entire um, middle of the episode was the, the everything on... Um, on Coruscant, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had, we spent, that's where we spend the vast majority of this episode following Dr. Pershing from the first season of the Mandalorian. Uh, he's kind of in the equivalent of bad guy rehab on Coruscant with yes. the new Republic. Yeah, <laughs> pretty um, much. <laughs> but, you know, he, he kind of meets up with several other former Imperials. Uh, one he recognizes, uh, Elia Kane, um, who I can't think of the actress's name, but she, you know she really portrayed the character very well. Oh, absolutely! Uh, I absolutely. thought she was. Yeah, I thought she was absolutely phenomenal. Yes, I actually um, have her name here, by the way, in my notes. Okay. Uh, let's see, Katie M. O'Brien. Okay, Katie O'Brien. Yeah, she yes. nailed this role. Yes, um, she did. <laughs> you, just like you knew something was not quite. Uh, on the level with her, mm-hmm. um, I kind of suspected from the very beginning that she was a spy for somebody. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, we get that paying off in a few episodes later. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I feel bad for Dr. Pershing. It sounds like he he really wants his he knows that there's a lot of good that can be done with his cloning technology. It doesn't sound like he wants to clone complete sentient beings. It seems like he wants to use the cloning to help with like body parts things to help people to recover from diseases, but he's right. being stifled by the new Republic. I guess the new Republic's laws state that cloning is, is completely outlawed. And I'm wondering Correct. if that kind of ties into what's been going on in, in the bad batch with the empire and them starting to do some cloning research there based off the, the, the Kaminoans. I don't know if yeah. I'm onto something or not, but well, I mean, I would just think the new Republic does not want anything to do with clones because clones are what caused ultimately caused the downfall of the, uh, you know, the, the first Republic, oh, the original sure. Republic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think that, you know, because of past experiences, they're like, we're not taking chances again. Yeah. No way, no how. Yeah. Well, that makes sense too. Absolutely. I mean, it's just a lot of cloning stuff all the way around that just kind of went chaotic, you know, right. so it makes sense. Right. But I just wonder how much the Republic, you know, the new Republic actually knows about why, 
the Clone Wars ended, why the Jedi turn or why the clones turned on the Jedi and caused uh, the downfall of the Republic and the rise of the Empire. I wonder how common knowledge Order 66 is among the masses. I'm going to guess that it was not very um, well-known or, or yeah. well-publicized why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I wouldn't be surprised if some of the clones during that time may have said something about Order 66 and it was probably turned into like, oh, that's just a bunch of drunk talk or something like that. So it was more like yeah. a myth than anything. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, the episode, or the Coruscant section of the episode ends with uh, Dr. Pershing being um, hooked up to the Mind Flayer, mm-hmm. uh, which the New Republic was intending to use as essentially a rehabilitative device. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but uh, Elia Kane sweet talks the... Um, the person, the operator in the room to leave when, while she watches the therapy on her supposed friend, Dr. Pershing. But, mm-hmm. you know, of course she turns up the dial to maximum, which probably scrambled that poor doctor's brains completely. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I was hoping we were going to get some sort of payoff from this later on in the season. And I was sad to see that I was wrong. That, yeah. You know, it was, I just thought it was a very interesting turn from just talking about the Mandalorian stuff. Uh, yeah. Just... Yeah. I mean, the only follow-up that we got was just proving what we already knew and just making the connection between who Kane was working for. We knew that she was still loyal to the Empire. We just didn't know who in the Empire she was loyal to. Right, exactly. And that comes out again later in the season, as we'll talk about here in a bit. Right, yeah, but we didn't get any any follow-up on Dr. Pershing and how he is exactly. doing Exactly, exactly. What do you what did you think about Mind Flayer in Star Wars? That <sighs> it was very it was interesting. It actually reminded me going back to Star Trek. It reminded me of there's a third season episode called Whom Gods Destroy, where okay. they were using a similar device to actually cause rehabilitation for the mentally. They called it the I think the criminally insane in the galaxy, and it got used and turned and twisted to, to harm people a lot, like what uh uh happened in this episode. It was really interesting, the kind of the, the comparison, the parallel of yeah. that. Um, I, I like the fact that the, the New Republic isn't doing anything to torture anybody, but are, are they, what are they doing with this device? So they, they call rehabilitation, but like, what kind of rehabilitation is it? You know, I, are they I trying to know. just get them to think and be loyal to the New Republic? Is that really like, is that really freedom? Is that really something positive from this machine? You know what I mean? Right, right, exactly. And that's, you know, a bureaucracy is a bureaucracy, I right. guess. It doesn't matter who's pulling, who's running it, whether it's an empire, whether it's a republic. I think that's kind of the message it's trying to say is that, you know, there are there are heroes and villains on both sides. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Which, I mean, in a way is kind of kind of against why you turn to Star Wars. You know, you, you, you kind of turn to Star Wars for, um, you know, every, you know, good to be good and evil to be evil. Mm-hmm. There's really seldom a gray area because, because Star Wars is a fable. Star Wars is mythology. Mm-hmm. You know, they're often in mythology. There are clearly defined heroes and clearly defined villains that you rarely find characters who exist in the gray. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if, I wonder if that's. I wonder how many people, other people feel that way, right? About what Star Wars is doing now. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's a good question. We should post that as like a, a question maybe for the audience. See if that's hmm. something they would they'd be interesting in answering. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Let's we'll make a social media post uh about it and we'll see what people have to say. Perfect. I think that's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. All like, right. Yep. Uh go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, no, I was just just going to recap. I was just going to say I thought it was a pretty good episode. I like that it took a break from just the kind of the Mandalorian story and give us something kind of fresh. I did really yeah. like, by the way, seeing the opera house again on Coruscant. That was cool. Right. Yeah. That was really cool. Yes. Uh, I, um, going back to the mind flayer, I, I don't know. <laughs> that just doesn't seem, that name just doesn't seem to fit in star Wars yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. Like that is that. So the mind flayer is something that is really, uh, came kind of it, it really you know, made a its debut with D- dungeons and dragons that's where the mind flayer first appeared it's a creature okay and it and then because in in the show stranger things because the uh the main characters in that game are Dungeons and dragons players they often call the the creatures that they fight against they 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 name them after D and D characters. So seeing Mind Flayer in Dungeons and Dragons, seeing it in Stranger Things, and now in Star Wars, it's just like I don't know. I, I just feel like that Star Wars could have called it something different. Yes. No, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. It, it kind of just mind. It kind of almost makes it sound like a mind ripper more yeah, than anything. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I don't like the idea of there being, you know, something. It seems more like mind control to me than rehabilitation. I think that was the word right. I was looking for earlier. Right. Right. Mind okay. Control. Yeah. Yeah. And then we uh, we leave Doctor Pershing. We go back to uh, you know the story with Din and Bo. They arrive on whatever planet that the Mandalorian covert is hiding away on. Uh, they recount their experience uh, bathing in the living waters and. They are both not not just Din, but Bo Katan is also brought into the covert, into yes. the the clan. So, uh, kind of cool, you know, seeing Bo reluctantly joining this uh, sect uh, that she feels is a cult. Yes, exactly. I was wondering when we were watching, I was watching it about what she thought about having to keep her helmet on permanently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, I mean, that had a bit. I mean, no, that's kind of a side thing but i just you know you think about these little things sometimes with the characters and what their mindsets are yeah you know yeah so but you're right i mean like joining this cult what would that be like for her you know right okay any more thoughts on uh chapter 18 or chapter 19 sorry nope not at all okay all right so we'll move on to chapter 20 this one was called the foundling Mm -hmm. uh so we see our mandalorians training on the beach uh, Grogu is training with the other young foundlings. <laughs> uh, a little paintball battle ensues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I thought that was cute. Yes. Um, I, I, I like what they're doing with Grogu. They're turning him. He's actually becoming a character with a personality. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not just something to sit and watch like, oh, how cute. Oh, look what he's doing. You know, he's actually becoming a character. He's not just uh, arm candy anymore. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Agreed. So, um, and then, you know, at at the end of that training sequence, this pterodactyl-like creature comes and snatches up Paz Vizsla's son and flies away with him. Um, You know, Mando and Paz try to chase, but, you know, they they basically run out of fuel and can't catch up to the the beast. Mm -hmm. Um, 
we get the impression that this isn't the first time a child was taken. Uh-huh. Because it almost sounds like there was a line where Paz Vizsla said something about every time we can never catch up. Uh-huh. Did you catch that? Yes. Yes, I did. Okay. So obviously this has happened before. This isn't the first time. Uh-huh. So it makes you wonder how many, how many uh, different young kids got taken uh-huh. by this creature. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, Bo-Katan comes up with a plan to help them get, you know, to get to the creature's nest and actually, you know, rescue the boy, which is kind of helping Bo become part of the clan, become part of the covert. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, so we kind of move away from that plot and go back to Grogu and he's with the armorer and, uh, <laughs> you know, she is making him that, uh, the, I guess it's his sigil, right? The, the, the mudhorn yes. is his sigil that mm-hmm. she puts on his chest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I got like, I can't help but think is Grogu is now Flav of Flav. Yes, exactly. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> The thing is, you don't see that the rest of the season, right? You don't see him actually wearing that sigil anymore. Not that, at all. After that episode. It's just never on screen after that. Right, exactly. Now <laughs> I'm going to have Flavor Flav. Every time I watch that video, thank you very much, sir. <laughs> I'm going to have that <laughs> mental image, you know, you know, waiting for him to go, grow, go, <laughs> instead of Flavor Flav. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> That's great. If my brain had to visualize that, so does yours. Yeah, hey, hey that's fine. That's fine. No problem. So um, what I really liked about, about that scene was when it leaped into the Order 66 attack on the Jedi Temple. That was really yes. something. Yes. Uh, did you know who that did you know, do you know who that Jedi was that rescued? Oh yes. Yeah, Ahmed Best who played Jar Jar Binks. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So in you know he's re- he's actually this is not the first time he's been that character on screen. Really? No. Okay. Um so if you go to YouTube and look for Star Wars Kids on YouTube, okay. look for a show called Jedi I think it was called Jedi Temple Challenges. Okay. Okay, so do you remember Legends of the Hidden Temple? Yes, growing up. Okay. So Jedi Temple Challenge is kind of like Legends of the Hidden Temple, but in the Star Wars universe, you know, kids, uh, t- kids are uh, basically have to train as Jedi and they eventually go on a mission where it's like they have like a temple where they have to make it through the temple and solve puzzles and stuff along the way. OK. And it was hosted by Ahmed Best. But in the show, Ahmed wasn't playing Ahmed Best. He was he was Jedi Master Kelleran Beck which is the character that he plays in this episode of The Mandalorian. Oh, wow. Okay. So not only did he get to, you know, create this character and host a game show with kids who are Star Wars fans, you know, uh, he got to reprise the character and actually, you know, show off. Uh, you know, like Ahmed Best is, um, he he is a, he is a multi-martial art uh he 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 is disciplined in multiple forms of martial arts. Okay, like everything that he did, all of the moves, all of the the like the lightsaber battles, that was all actually you know him utilizing his skills. Mm-hmm. 
So it was, you know, it's great to see this, you know, this, this guy who got so much, so much hate for Jar Jar. Yes. Really getting to come back and play this crazy badass Jedi character and, yes. and gets to, you know, really show off his, his martial arts skills in, in real, you know, like in front of so many people, right. That yeah. probably gave him a hard time 20 years ago. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was kind of like a redemption for him, like a rebirth, mm-hmm. you know, to mm-hmm. see him go from this goofy, corny character that is this kind of hero that now is tied to Grogu and, and his being saved you know, I, I just, it was a nice moment to see. I hope we get to see more of his character in flashbacks. That'd be great. Yeah, for sure. Um, so now I wonder, who was it that called the Naboo Royal Cruiser? Mm-hmm. Who set that up? That's a very good, good interesting point. Because at this point, Padme would still be alive, and she would not really have her suspicions about Anakin. She wouldn't know about, or she wouldn't know of Anakin's role in Order sixty six. Right, exactly. So, exactly. Could she have been the one to coordinate it? Could it have been Jar Jar, uh, Senator Binks? That would have been, in, yeah, that would have been an interesting twist. <laughs> Definitely. I hope we find out. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, they didn't give enough information on all of that. I don't know if it would be Padme doing it because, like you said, she didn't really know what was going on at the temple. She saw it was on fire, unless maybe she sent the ship there thinking Anakin might have been there. I don't know. Yeah. You know, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. Hopefully we do get an answer. With this group of people with with the Filoni universe, we usually, they plant these little questions and then they get answered. So... I'm thinking we'll eventually get some sort of payoff for it. I hope so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Um, so uh, we'll move on to chapter 21. This is the pirate. So uh, the pirates that plagued Navarro back in episode one are back. They're attacking Navarro. Mando is trying to get help from the New Republic, but uh, bureaucracy being what it is, his aid request would never get granted. Um, it would take weeks for someone to show up and help. Uh, Carson Teva goes in person to Coruscant and is denied his request. Uh, we get, we seem to get more information or more evidence that Elia Kane is uh, still working for the Imperials, mm-hmm. uh, just with the way that she was in that episode. Uh, Carson Teva leaves Coruscant, visits the Mandalorians, gets them to help. Um, of course, you know, he knows the Mandalorians are there because of R5. Because mm-hmm. of course he does. Yes. <laughs> of course. Uh, I, I Like I said, that that I don't know what is up with Star Wars trying to make that droid into something more than just a defective, th- you know, the, 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 something more than the defective droid that we saw him as in A New Hope. Oh, yes, yes. Like, it's so crazy how this character, keep, this droid keeps coming back over I know. and over. Yeah, somebody's got a little heart for him, definitely. Without a doubt. <laughs> Clearly. Clearly. Filoni or Favreau, one yes. of the two, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, of course, he pleads for their assistance. The Covert agrees because they essentially they do it as a favor for, for Din Djarin um, because, uh, because, you know, he saved the boy. He saved the boy in, uh, in the previous episode. So he is much more accepted among the ranks of the Covert. So, yes. It seems like they do it as a favor to help the Mandalorian more so than the New Republic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so they eventually win the battle, of course. Uh, Bo-Katan 
meets with the armorer. That's where she confesses that she saw the mythosaur. And that's where we get the revelation that uh, the armorer permits Bo to remove her helmet because she is, uh, quote, you know, she's walking both worlds, Mm -hmm. right? She is both uh, Mandalorian of old and Mandalorian of new because, you know, she is, she is Mandalorian because she, saw the mythosaur right exactly like it doesn't matter what side she's on she's true mandalorian because of what she saw absolutely absolutely what did you think of this episode as a whole this one i i don't know i don't know what i thought of it i i it almost seems like this episode was just a way to uh tease us with zeb yes (laughs) I, i agree that was a wonderful to see that i love seeing these animated characters coming into the real world it's wonderful yeah, I, I'm kind of convinced that this episode is just an entire 40-minute episode just to show the, the the people that we can bring a character like Zebarelios from animation into live action and make him look pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, yes. I mean, they did an amazing job. I just, the whole pirate thing bored me. I'll be honest, yeah. I was bored through most of the episode. I mean, obviously That's there fair. were certain moments that were good, like when they found the Beskar alloy inside the prison transport from Moff Gideon, um, which sets stuff up for later on the rest of the season, you know. Uh, but other than that, it wasn't really enjoyable for me. Yeah. It was just filler. I mean, yeah, it, it, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't the best episode of the season. I, I, it was cool to see them bring back that the pirate captain Gorian Shard because mm-hmm. that makeup and that that whole thing, like whatever creature he is, whatever type of alien he is, looks pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Kind of reminds me of Pizza the Hut from Spaceballs. See, he reminds me a little bit of Swamp Thing and uh, Davy Jones from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. He's kind of oh, a really? mishmash of those two to me. Yeah, I can see why you say that. I think the reason why I'm saying that is because it looks he just looks sloppy. You know what I mean? I think yeah. that's why he reminds me of Pizza the Hut. Right, right. Yeah, well, you know, he's got the kelp and the algae and all of that stuff. Yeah. You know, part of his face, I guess. That See, that's where I got the Davy Jones vibe. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's because of that. Um, but, but Pizza the Hut, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it just kind of kind of came to mind. <laughs> but, uh, all right. Yeah, uh, you and I didn't really care for this episode, mm-hmm. so... Do you have anything else to add to this discussion? Not at all. Okay, let's move on. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Clearly not our favorite. (laughs) Um, Chapter 22, Guns for Hire. Uh, This is kind of a divisive episode too, isn't it? Kind of, because it kind of comes off like it could be filler as well. But at the same time, it's got an interesting little plot twist. Like dealing with the the droids. You have the Imperial and the Separatist droids that have been reprogrammed. But for some reason, they're starting to malfunction. And then you get to go into the Resistor, that droid bar. That was really cool, I thought. Yeah. Getting to see yeah. all the different droids and watching them like hook up to their like oil drinks and things. That that was that was a lot of fun. Um, I like Jack Black. I thought he did a pretty interesting, did a pretty good job in his character. What was he with the King of Paraquat or something? Uh, Plazir Fifteen is the planet. Okay. Um, which that name kind of has some Star Trek vibes to it, doesn't it? Yeah, most most Star Wars planets don't have numbers after them. Right, but that's more of a common naming convention in Star Trek. Yes, it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, often they use Roman numerals for the you know, instead of uh, Arabic digits like you know fifteen. They would you know it would be Plazir. Uh, XV, yes, probably in Star Trek, but yes, yes, you know, 
I don't know. Um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, Sorry. I see. The Moon of Paraquat was where the Duchess actually sent Commissioner Hell Hellgate. That's right. where I got that name from. So, okay, okay. So the captain, his name was Captain Bombardier. Uh-huh. And then, and then, so that was Jack Black, and then Lizzo was the Duchess. Um, so what did you think of Lizzo? Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> she was okay. I mean, she... She definitely wasn't the the best actress in you know in that scene in the in right. that episode. I I mean I give her I give her credit for giving the effort. I think you know we kind of had talked about this a little bit. Yes. I think I think the more stuff that she's in, she's going to get to develop her acting skills. I mean, oh, not yeah. every not every musical performer who made the leap into acting is, you know, their first roles are often not good. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you could tell she put on she put her best foot forward. She definitely yeah. did. I mean, it, she yeah. wasn't an awful character, but her acting was definitely wooden, but I agree right. with you. She's got potential as time goes on. Especially if this was what this was what probably her first or second acting role, right? Um, I mean, she's been in Maybe four or five things at this point. Has she? I, okay. I yeah. I the what the first thing that I saw her in was that um, Hustlers movie with Jennifer Lopez. Okay. About the uh, the exotic dancers that kind of hustle their uh, clients and basically steal their credit cards and have an entire credit card fraud ring going. Ah, uh, okay. Um, she was in that movie. Uh, but she really didn't do much that, that I think was probably her first acting roles, but she didn't have a huge uh, part in it from what I can remember. Okay. Um, I don't know what she's been in, in between that and this episode of Mando. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, okay. I'm not sure, but I mean, she's going to improve if, if she does, if she really wants to, you know, be uh, a, a performer plus an actress, she will find a way to make it happen. She'll continue to, to get better. Absolutely. No, I, I agree with you. Definitely. So um, I think one of the highlights of this episode was definitely seeing Christopher Lloyd joining the yeah. Star Wars, the Star Wars world. Yeah. Yeah. This, this, this episode was definitely um, cameo city for sure. <laughs> oh, and not even from live actors. I mean, just the, the battle droids from the, the prequel era. That was cool right. to see those back. Yes. Agreed. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I always love seeing battle droids come up because they're so lovably doof they're such lovable doofuses <laughs> they really are they really are i couldn't believe how fast a super battle droid could actually run oh yeah yeah i, I, I mean, thought they, they just, just... kind of stumbled around that's all we ever really saw of them i didn't know they could like bolt like that yeah i mean they were kind of designed to be a little bit more of a threat to jedi yes so yeah that makes know, sense it's understandable um because obviously the the standard B one battle droids are are just there for firepower, <laughs> right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, to be honest with you, this episode kind of gave me a little bit of a Star Trek vibe. It was almost like here we got we got the Mandalorian, Bo Katan, and Grogu going on a mission to a planet and helping the population. Yeah, you know that's kind yeah. of the vibe I got, and I thought that was cool too because Christopher Lloyd was in in Star Trek. I know he was Commander Krug yeah. in Star Trek, of three. course. <laughs> you know, so I, I love that he's now a part of both franchises now. That's really sure. cool. But it was, it was what I liked about this episode. It was, if, again, kind of filler, but at the same time, it was unique. It was something yeah. different we hadn't seen in any of the other seasons. So I thought, so for me, that was a thumbs up. 
Yeah, I, I and I like the whole like film noir type yes. thing where the, you know where Bo and Din were trying to solve the mystery about why the droids were going rogue like they were. Right. Mm-hmm. That was very very film noir, very detective story ish. Yes. Yes. Um, what did you think about the little Romeo and Juliet subplot at the beginning of the episode between the Quarren and the Mon Calamari? I thought it was a little creepy for some reason. <laughs> I, it, just was, it was odd. I, I, I don't, I, I didn't, to be honest with you, I forgot about it until you just told me. And then I was like, oh, I remember it was kind of, it made me cringe. Right. You know, right. I have, I've only yeah. seen that one time, and I think that's good enough for me to be honest. With you. It was just weird. <laughs> Wasn't the, the her lover like younger than she was or something? Like, so she, the so the Quarren was the captain. She was the female captain right. of the ship. Right. Uh, the Mon Calamari was a prince, and they were in love. Right. Um, what? Well, I don't know if you. Again, this may be something that you're not familiar with lore-wise, lore mm-hmm. but the Quarren and the Mon Calamari both live on the same planet. Yes. Yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they were more, they were enemies for the longest time. They did not get along. Mm-hmm. So the the fact that you know a Quarren and a Mon Calamari had a relationship and were falling in love is kind of yeah, that's why I, I called it the you know Romeo and Juliet story. Mm-hmm. Because it's very much, you know, warring factions, warring races, uh, but you know, one from each side is, you know, they've fallen in love. I, I don't know. It's it, it, it just it it seemed like that whole thing was tacked on. Mm-hmm. Like it, it only existed to reintroduce us to uh, the Mandalorians and the stolen fleet. Yes, that's about it. I agree with you on that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it, they could if they had spent more time with that and not the whole Plazier fifteen thing. It might have done better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the ending of the episode, right? The episode, the ending was really good. Where Bo Katan yeah. was battling that. What well, he used to, they used to be her army, I believe. Right, and then it's now led by what's his name, Axe Wolves, I believe it is. Right, right, okay, right. yeah. And she ended up, and Mando ended up kind of saving the day. He said, "Well, you know what? She beat, she saved me in the uh, in the living waters, and they, or, or there was a battle. She she fought some. Oh, it was the robot. She mm-hmm. she saved him from the robot, and that's how she was able to get the light, the dark saber back from him. Yes, yes, right. Yeah, that right. was good. Right. So that that showed finally yeah. some." where the, the character can finally start to grow and get out of this rut she's been in for most of the season, you know, mm-hmm. kind of start to reassume to take her throne back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I thought I, I enjoyed the episode and it definitely works better the second time when it's not just completely out of left field that you're seeing this and you're not expecting it. It, it definitely plays better the second time around. So yeah, I, I would urge you to revisit it when you have a chance. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I will. All right. Um, so then I kind of want to talk about the final two episodes together because they were basically one uh, episode 24, chapter 24, picked up right where chapter 23 let off. Mm-hmm. So uh, kind of talk about them together. So, you know, we, we get that confirmation that, of course, that Elia Kane is a spy for the M- Empire, but specifically for Moff Gideon. Mm-hmm. You know, she or he's using her to... Uh, basically keep track of the Mandalorians and where they are and what they're doing. Um, while he is surprised on Mandalore that that's his base of operations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ironically. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, so we get that meeting with the Shadow Council. You know, they're they're teasing us about Thrawn coming back. They're talking about Project Necromancer, talking about cloning, both with Gideon and, you know, we find out Gideon has clones, but he's keeping that secret from the Shadow Council, uh, where, you know, where um, Brendel Hux, uh, General Hux from the sequel trilogy, his dad uh, is the character that we see in the Shadow Council. Uh, you know, of course, uh, Gideon calls him out for being so invested in cloning but surprise <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> surprise gideon is also obsessed with clothing closing or uh, cloning sorry um we get ig12 and we get a new uh, <laughs> we get a new means for grogu to cause some trouble mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of reminded um, me of uh the original series episode of star trek the menagerie where captain pike was in that wheelchair yes do yes or no that was it yes Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of, kind of. Yeah, yeah. I, see, look at that Star Trek connection. I didn't uh, even hey, think. Well, we are Star Trek Star Wars <laughs> conne- tie-in, so <laughs> yes. perfect. You know, but yeah, I think yep. I think Grogu likes no more than Captain Pike did. Uh, right, right. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we we find the Mandalorians living on the surface in a pirate ship, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um. Grogu kind of gets Paz Vizsla and the and Axe Woes and you know all those factions of the Mandalorians to stop fighting each other and and actually work together. You know mm-hmm. Grogu did a great job in being the mediator there. Um, the pirate ship gets destroyed. We find out that uh, you know we find out that surprise there's an Imperial base beneath Mandalore and it's being used by Moff Gideon. We we get introduced to these commando stormtroopers wearing Beskar armor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't seem like there's Beskar. It's not completely made out of Beskar. It still looks like this, the classic stormtrooper armor, just, I guess, in for- reinforced with uh, Beskar is what my guess would be, because mm-hmm. I-, I can't imagine, um, th- you know, those, some of those, commando stormtroopers got taken out pretty easily yes right mm-hmm. you know they wouldn't have it seemed like you know some blaster shots stopped them mm-hmm. when you would think that the mandalorian army at full beskar would deflect that yes i agree um, but then and it, but yeah. moff gideon his was full beskar right it would it was definitely a lot more beskar than say you know the um the the, the stormtroopers for mm-hmm. sure, but I don't know if it was full best car. Mm-hmm. I, I would say there was probably a fair bit of um, other materials in there too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, man, this just overall this like this two episodes was pretty cool. Like it, yes. it started off action packed and it didn't end for two full episodes, and it really works together when you watch them back to back. It really works well together. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, definitely the fact that they're bringing back Grand Admiral Thrawn, they're mentioning him. They're definitely setting the Ahsoka series up without a doubt. You know? Oh yeah. So, and we know that he's going to be played in live action because we've seen that. I think in one of the clips in the trailer, we saw the back of his head, and it's actually right. I think it's the actor who's doing. Is it La- who is it? Lars Mikkelsen. Lars uh, Lars Mickelson, yeah. Okay, okay, that's what I thought. And he voiced him in Rebels, correct? Correct, correct. Okay, okay. it's nice how everything's starting to tie together from all the different series, you know. Yes, piecing together quite nicely. And then we saw the Praetorian Guard come back from the Last Jedi. Right. That was pretty cool. 
right, right. And, you know, much to the dismay of people on the internet that like to make stupid YouTube videos, mm-hmm. uh, Lucasfilm is not rewriting the sequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All they're doing is adding to the lore. Yes. Sorry. Sorry to hurt your feelings. Go make another stupid YouTube video. Exactly. Uh, no, I agree. I agree. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the the sequel trilogy, it's it's you know a lot of what's happening in Mandalorian and how it's informing the sequel trilogy is what the Clone Wars did for the prequel trilogy. Exactly. It's, yes, it added to the lore. More to it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Overall, what did you think of these two episodes? I loved it. I loved how we got to have a little. We've got to figure find out what happened with Moff Gideon because we didn't see him for half the season. We didn't know what right. happened. Um, we got to have a really cool base on Mandalore. We got to see the Mandalorians return to their home world like they wanted to, and Bo Katan's mm-hmm. been reinstated into power and that wonderful mm-hmm. ceremony that they had. And it was nice, nice to see the Mandalorian finally adopting Grogu and finally having him as his son. So calling yes. him Din Grogu is going to take a little bit of work, but uh, you yeah, know, it's, uh, but it's cool. And I love the yeah. way the episode ended with them actually being. It, it kind of felt like. You know, the Mandalorian always felt like an old Western kind of show, based on the way it mm-hmm. was from the earlier seasons. And so sure. to see him in like a his own like cabin home with him sitting on the porch with his son out in the yard, you know, it just it, <laughs> it, it, it just it kind of brought that that theme home, which I yeah. thought was really really cool. And be honest with you, if they ended the series right there, that actually would be kind of to me a pretty decent ending. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong, and I, I, I actually thought that myself. You know, if we don't get a, a season for The Mandalorian, I'm okay with how this ends. Yeah, exactly. I mean, think about it. I mean, he he doesn't have to be a mercenary now. He's just going to do odd jobs for that one. What's his name again? Carson Teva. Car- Carson Teva and the New Republic. Right, Off the exactly. Book. So he's going to do odd odd jobs for them, and then he's going to watch Grogu grow up and keep him safe. You know, and he's finally free. He's he's been redeemed with by his own people. Bo Katan's back in power. The Mandalorians are back on their planet. So I mean, and Moff Gideon's dead, as far as we know. You know, so they, they they ended it. You know, so I mean, I mean, I'm sure they could come up with more stuff. But if again, if they ended it like that, it would be a great way to end it. it wouldn't be bad. Yeah, and and speaking of things coming to an end, I don't have any more to say about the Mandalorian season three. So. I think that's going to do it for episode 27 of Captain's Logs and Lightsabers. Sounds good to me. Any final thoughts, Chris? The only thing I I was going to say is I wish they wouldn't have aired The Mandalorian at the same time as season three of Star Trek Picard. And as as me being the big Star Trek fan, my mental energy was, was so hyped and obsessed with what was going on with Picard that when I would watch Mandalorian, it kind of felt like it was on the back burner for me, and I didn't like that. That's why I yeah. was glad when I rewatched the first four episodes, I got to see it through new eyes. Um, yeah, I think yeah. I don't know if that hurt ratings wise on the show. It's just for me personally, it took me out of the story because I was like, okay, when's what's going on next with Picard? You know, right? No, you're, you're absolutely right, and I I kind of experienced the same thing, but I didn't. I don't know if I articulated it or was able to articulate it the way that you just did. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're onto something. Just I was I was a lot more invested in the story developing in Picard season three than I was in Mando, mm-hmm. and and yeah, it, you're right. It may not be fair to you know for both you know both happening the same week. Essentially, you know, Picard ran two episodes long or no. 
Oh, Picard started two weeks earlier, but yes. then episodes three through ten of Picard aligned with episodes one through eight of The Mandalorian. Exactly, exactly. And with with all the nostalgia and stuff going on with with the Next Generation crew and Picard, it just it it just totally took the thunder, in my opinion, away from The Mandalorian. So I wish The Mandalorian would have started like right around the end of Picard. You yeah. Know, so I don't know. Maybe I'll do some research and see if there was ever if there was any effect on that or not. Who knows? I mean, you're not going to get word from Disney or Paramount no. about what you know what performance was like for either show. Right. I'm thinking it'd be more of like a fan kind of thing, like online, yeah. what people would say. I right. Agree. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. That you might be able to get somewhere with that. Let me know what you find out. Okay, I'll check in. I know in our next episode we're going to be doing an in-depth review of season three of Star Trek Picard. We are. Yeah, yes. so that's going to be so that we can kind of theorize on that a little bit more going into into that episode. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I have nothing else to add to this discussion. Yep. Thanks for sticking with us for a little bit longer of an episode. But until episode 28, when we do talk about Star Trek Picard season three, uh, may the force be with you. And live long and prosper. <laughs>